Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsaporchai. Well, it's good to be back, uh, brother, another week. Um, now, folks that have been keeping up with us week to week know that we've been going through a series on the Ten Commandments and how and why they're still applicable to us today and why they matter to uh, you know 21st century Christians. But today we're going to take a little br- bit of a break. We've got a, a very dear friend and special guest with us. He's been with us before. Uh, welcome back, Dustin. It's good to have you with us, brother. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be back with both of you. Now, uh, this is Dustin Binge. Now, last time you were with us, Dustin, your environment was a little bit different. Uh, oh, you were right. you yeah. were overseas uh, at that. Oh wow, has point it been that long ago? <laughs> yeah, it has been. And so, uh, just for folks who know you or know of you, and maybe they don't know that you've changed locations and jobs and that kind of thing, why don't you just tell us a little bit about where you are now? God brought you back. What He's got you doing, and uh, they will kind of just move from there. Yeah, of course. Um, So about eight months ago, uh, December of 2021, yes, that's right, um, my wife and I were living in the United Kingdom uh, in Wales. Uh, I was serving there as provost and a professor at Union School of Theology. Uh, The Lord uh, called us back in His providence, and I'm now serving. Uh, We moved back to the United States in December uh, from uh, Wales, and I'm now at uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, where I serve both as professor of church history and um, historical theology and biblical spirituality, as well as vice president of communication. So, I wear those uh, two hats here on the campus of Southern Seminary in Louisville. Awesome. Well, thank you for that, Dustin. Um, Well, today's topic is really, I think, a subject that's near and dear to all of us. And to be quite frank, um, is and ought to be near and dear to every uh, Christian who is just seeking to live a life pleasing uh, before the Lord. And that's the topic of holiness, uh, to narrow it down a little bit more, uh, personal holiness or our uh, progressive sanctification. And so, uh, I know that uh, in your studies, Jonathan Edwards, and your love for uh, the Puritans, you've most certainly been um, entrenched and familiar with this topic. What do you think about first when someone mentions personal holiness or progressive sanctification? Where where does your mind go uh, at the beginning, Dustin? Well, that that's a good question. This this is a very good topic in which to discuss. Um, my mind goes in many different directions when someone says personal holiness. Uh, when someone says progressive sanctification, um, that helps me uh, know a little bit better uh, where they are theologically, rather than the phrase personal holiness. Um, but if we were to Uh, shape or define holiness uh, or personal holiness, we we have to start with Scripture, don't we? Um, In both Old and New Testaments, holy means separated or set apart for God. Now, 
there's both a negative and a positive connotation in scripture regarding holiness. Negatively, holiness is separation from sin. Positively, holiness is consecration to God and uh, more specifically, conformity to Christ. Now, the directive and mandate for holiness is based on the very person and character of God himself. Uh, scripture says we are to be holy because God is holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Uh, God's holiness is his unique essence. Uh, God is infinitely different from everything else that is. God's holiness is his glory and his beauty. Uh, Nathaniel, you mentioned Jonathan Edwards. Uh, Edwards said, the holiness of God has always appeared the most lovely of all of his attributes. Mm. So, since holiness is the very sum of all of God's attributes, his people, that is, you and I, believers, should also shine outward in holiness. And so, that that's a very broad picture, a very big picture. If we were to narrow that down a little bit, we could say that personal holiness, uh, that is to live holy, is to live godly. Maybe that's a word that listeners are a bit more familiar with. That That's another word in Scripture that we see for holiness, godly, or to live righteously. Godliness is the sum of what we would call piety. Uh, perhaps uh, listeners have read that word if they've read uh, the Puritans or anybody in the 16th, 17th, 18th century writings, practical holiness. Or believers would even have put it in Puritan times, true religion would be kind of that the phrase that would be used. And it includes a, a right view of God, a right attitude toward God, right obedience to God, a devotion of life in thoughts, words, and deeds. It's the governing principle, if you will, of a life focused on Jesus Christ, empowered and driven by the Holy Spirit and directed by the Word of God. So th that's a little all over the place, but I wanted to start with a very broad kind of definition of personal holiness and then narrow that to a, a life lived by believers that is godly and righteous, being conformed to the image of Christ. Amen. Well, brother, you mentioned a word there that I, I, I think, uh, especially folks in our kind of circles um, are familiar with piety. But um, in recent months, I have seen here and there articles that talk about uh, a word that's similar, but a little bit different. I'm wondering if you can clarify for us, uh, because one is uh, on, on the negative side, and of course, piety is something that we ought to strive for, and that's pietism, right? And so, when you, you hear piety, you hear pietism, uh, you can read articles um, on, you know, all over about how we need to stay away from pietism. And I'm not sure that uh, people always know the difference between those two things. Can you kind of help us understand that briefly, maybe? Well, most of the time, anytime a word of that nature has an ism on the end of it or an ism, that would 
be to define a movement. So, pietism is a movement where piety is much more personal. Piety is just an old Puritan word or an old English word, even if you will, that would denote personal holiness, living righteously, personal spiritual disciplines, things of that nature. When we talk about pietism, uh, that ism word, we're defining a whole movement. And that movement would be uh, known much more for its legalism, if you will, and its sets of rules that individuals have put in place that are extra biblical in order to gain merit and favor with God, in order to um, somehow prove our good works to God. And in my view, uh, a lot of times it would um, somewhat to def- it would define a lack of assurance, in faith, in justification, and the need to add our good works, thus piety, uh, certain aspects of piety, certain aspects of legalism or rules, if you will, to our lives in order to gain favor and merit with God. And so, pietism, uh, we have this idea of dressing in white, going and sitting in a cave, being very austere, um, going and sitting in a cold uh, cell somewhere, uh, going without food, whipping ourselves. Um, it, it has this baggage of these legalistic rituals that we would involve ourselves in or that we would attach to what Scripture has already said. Would, okay. you t- yeah. would you tie that into the tendency of some people to believe that we can actually reach perfection in this current uh, life? Well, I think that's certainly uh, some of the uh, some of the goal here um, with that type of movement. It would be amazing. Um, all of us are on social media. It would be amazing. I see a lot coming out of. Um, in regard to comments that are made on some of my posts, particularly certain areas of Africa, it is coming out of Africa, this idea that one can reach perfection. Um, So, I get lots of comments, for instance, from individuals from Nigeria and other places on on things that I would post about being obedient or pursuing holiness or pursuing a life of spiritual disciplines or something about the believers dealing with sin and the necessity to kill sin. And these people will post things like, uh, no, I don't sin anymore, or I'm free from sin, or I've reached this, this mode of perfection. And so, yes, this is my much more prevalent, I think, in uh, around the world in Christendom than we would actually realize that there is this idea that we can reach this state of perfection. Well, that's a misunderstanding of justification, sanctification, and glorification. It's a misunderstanding of Romans uh, 7, 8, 9, etc., where Paul talks about um, in chapter 5, as well, where Paul talks about the necessity of walking by the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And so, it's a complete misunderstanding of Scripture. But yes, that movement goes along with that. Now, historically, you can find some of this uh, within the Wesleyan movement of the um, 18th century, uh, where John Wesley and some others uh, in Oxford and around London uh, created this holiness club where they would get together and they would talk about 
uh, their practices of piety, mm. their practices of personal personal spiritual disciplines, because they believe that that you could eventually obtain this perfectionism to where you as a believer would no longer sin. Though later we see uh, many of the people that were a part of this club rejected those ideas, yeah. very thankfully. But there was that movement during that time, uh, this movement of of methodism that wesley promoted um that was this idea of perfectionism yeah i recall that um, george whitfield was a part of that and if i recall correctly um i'm not even sure he would consider himself um, a believer at that point looking back at his life and it wasn't yes that's later. right uh many of these guys would not have been believers at that time uh, i think some of this is coming out of the idea of puritan preparationism uh, which is another word of preparing oneself to be a christian uh, preparing oneself for getting to a certain level uh, to where you can mm. receive christ um uh, you know i'm not positive about that but but it, it seems to be the case uh that we are working toward getting our lives fit uh, to receive Christ. And it's almost a similar kind of mindset when people today say, I need to get my life in order before I go to church. Yes, that's right. Um, I hear that often in my evangelistic efforts or in sharing the gospel. Well, you know, my, my life just isn't what it should be, but I'm going to straighten it up one day in order to get to church, uh, in order to go to church. Yeah. And they, they feel like they have to have certain things in order in order before Christ will accept them. Yeah, and, and if I remember correctly, I know Jonathan Wesley and you talk about the Methodist movement. He continued to believe that we could obtain this uh, state of perfection, though if I recall correctly, he never claimed to have achieved it himself. Yes, that's right. Um, many people who would have espoused this, it's quite interesting, many people who espouse this never admit to ever having reached that higher plane. Um, and other religions in the world uh, adhere to this as well. Uh, Hinduism and Buddhism with nirvana and all this type yeah. of thing that you reach this higher plane of consciousness to where we are taken out of the body, if you will, into the divine. Um, and, and so, th there's just this constant, constant reminder that we have to, to give ourselves each and every day that good works are not enough, uh, that good works are not attaining for us any type of holiness whatsoever. Uh, it's a misunderstanding of positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. And so I see the the, the danger in this um, is really assurance of salvation for for the believer. Um, well, would you agree with that? And and what other, if any other, dangers would would you cite from this? Well, sometimes yes. Um, if there's a misunderstanding of positional sanctification, yeah. which is our standing in Christ, that is, we are sanctified already by the blood of Christ, and our progressive sanctification, which is the constant putting off of the flesh and putting on of the spirit yeah. or walking in the spirit, walking righteously. Um, if there's a misunderstanding of those two things and we, we have the balances or the scales, if you will, balanced wrongly, then we begin to believe that that progressive sanctification, if we're not seeing enough progress, then I begin to doubt my salvation. Mm -hmm. If I'm constantly dealing with habitual sin, 
if I'm constantly dealing with with this idea of my personal spiritual disciplines, well, it's six months since I read the Bible or it's four weeks since I prayed or whatever, then we, we begin to doubt that we are saved if we don't understand first and foremost that our sanctification is rooted in and grounded in Christ. And that's an interesting distinction when we talk about positional versus progressive, uh, because I think we see also a lot of times folks that will say things, at least I've seen this on my social media often when I post things about uh, holiness or, you know, spiritual disciplines, some, some pushback that sort of says, well, no, I don't, I don't need to do anything. That's legalism, you know, because uh, I am holy because God's made me holy. And, And so there's that side who would view um, almost any what we would just call obedience uh, to those things as being sort of legalistic. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that comes from misunderstanding this positional uh, versus progressive. W- wouldn't you say, do you find a lot of that today as well on, on that side of things or, or not so much? Yes, absolutely. People have such a problem with the phrase obedience or anytime you quote a passage of scripture that talks about obeying. And I think um, a lot of that arises from a current spirit of antinomianism that seems Mm -hmm. to be so prevalent in evangelical circles today. That's almost the dismissal of any language concerning obedience. Um, And antinomianism, we know, as just this complete casting off of the law, ignorance of the law, ignoring the law, ignoring really everything that God said before the New Testament and did before the New Testament, as if none of that applies to the modern day believer. Um, And so this freedom of consciousness to basically go and live any way we want to. And then, but I think Paul is very clear in Romans that this is this should be completely a foreign idea to the believer. Mm. Should we sin that grace may abound? God forbid, absolutely not. We should never sin that grace would abound. And so, um, th- there's this prevalent, prevalent uh, drive within evangelicalism today to completely ignore obedience and to simply say, as you said, Nathaniel. To simply say that obedience is legalism. And so I, I think that's just the uncovering of lots of theological problems within that individual. They're not understanding scripture. They don't understand their position in Christ. Perhaps they don't even know Christ to begin with if they don't know that you have to obey Christ <laughs> once you're a believer. Uh, they went out from us because they were not of us, mm. for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, scripture says. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that's a major issue today. That could be a whole other podcast. It's especially sad to me when we think about that, especially considering the words of Christ himself. You love me if you obey my commandments. Um, and, and it's mm. not that we're obeying to earn his love, but the obedience mm. is the fruit of our having already been in relationship with him, it, being saved. Absolutely. Um, and so, but he makes that distinction, which I always kind of refer to as a good litmus test uh, for, for someone who, you know, if, if, if they're so opposed to obedience, you know, maybe it's a good time to, as Paul says, consider just to see whether you're in the faith or not, um, because that should yeah. naturally flow out of that. Well, that, that's a good segue into my next question, Dustin. As you kind of 
um, look and you're in the university setting now. And so you see guys coming in who are getting trained for the ministry and coming from all kinds of different backgrounds, I imagine, as you sort of look at the American Western uh, Christian landscape, do, do you find that there needs to be a renewed interest and understanding concerning holiness, uh, concerning progressive sanctification? Do you feel like we're getting better in that area than other times past? Do you feel like we're moving further away from that? How, how would you judge the current state uh, of the church in America? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, I think the need arises, obviously, as I've j- already just said, from this spirit of antinomianism that is uh, so prevalent in so many minds today. Uh, it, it's almost the idea, if you'll allow me to put it this way, and we've all heard this language of let go and let God yeah. Uh, which causes a demeaning of the sovereignty of God as if he cannot work unless we give him permission to do so. Mm. Uh, One of the reasons why I don't think people want to give much thought to the pursuit of holiness is that holiness, if we just really boil it down and where the rubber meets the road sometimes as we say, the pursuit of holiness is warfare. It's warfare against our own sinful flesh. It's warfare against spiritual powers. It's warfare against the world in which we find so much pleasure and are desiring so much acceptance. The pursuit of personal holiness means that we are making war on all these things in order to be conformed to the image of Christ. And for most people, uh, it's just not worth it. I want acceptance from the world. I want to fulfill my own pleasures. I want to fulfill my own desires. I don't really mind my sin. After all, I'm under grace. It's that antinomian spirit. All this obedience language is legalism. So so it's everything that we've talked about. Thomas Watson, uh, one of my favorite Puritans, wrote a book called Taking Heaven by Storm. And he bases this book on Jesus's words, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. If, if there's any other language in scripture that talks about warfare, this is it. It's this idea of casting off all things to the point of, of lopping off hands and gouging out eyes and lopping off feet, if you will. Of course, all of that being this allegorical understanding of the necessity through which we should kill our sin in order to pursue holiness in Christ. If if you are living your life as a believer, and this is, is, is as convicting to me as perhaps it will be to you, but if you are living your life as a believer with no consideration for holiness, with no consideration for conformity to Christ, with no consideration of killing your sin, that's a pretty good sign you're not a believer to begin with. Mm. Because those who are in Christ – desire to be conformed to the image of Christ, because after all, the Holy Spirit's living within us, producing that fruit, rooting us in God's word, and we desire to be obedient to it. 
So uh, there is a renewed interest in this subject because I think of the renewed interest of the writings of old. That is the Reformation, the doctrines of grace, the writings of the Puritans, which so highly encourage the pursuit of holiness. So, yes, I think there is a great renewed interest here in this idea, the personal spiritual disciplines. What what does that look like, etc.? But we need to root it theologically or we get way off the rails and it becomes nothing more than a type of experience rather than a theological grounding in God's word. That, that's an interesting perspective. Eki, you were going to say something. Go ahead. Yeah, no, you, you said uh, you, you, were, you said a lot of great things there um, talking about. Yeah, you know, and as we think about these two extremes, where we have one extreme that says that we must uh, be perfect um, in this life, and the other extreme that says we should not pay attention to any of the commandments, any of the imperatives of the Bible. You know, I, I think on both sides we we have issues of assurance of salvation, right? And I think you started to talk about some of the signs uh, that someone is truly in Christ. Can can you elaborate on that a little bit? You you mentioned a few things, but if you can, if someone were to come to you and say, um, say, Dustin, I'm not sure I'm in Christ. How can I know I have assurance of salvation? What, what would you say? Well, um, do you desire Christ? I think would be a predominant question. Um, do you desire Christ? Uh, do you uh, recognize the fruits and the works of the Holy Spirit within you. Now, it's one thing for me to look at someone and to examine their fruit. It's another thing for us personally to examine our own fruit yeah. uh, because I can have false fruit. I can have fake fruit. Mm -hmm. I can have mm -hmm. seeds that have been planted, as Jesus said, on dry ground that spring up. Somebody may see it, and then I turn around and it wither. <laughs> so it has no roots. It has no grounding. It has no water. Is there a desire to read and know God's word? Is there a desire to, to go to the Lord and have communion with him in prayer? Is there a desire to be conformed to the image of Christ? Is there a desire to cast off sin and to put on Christ? Is there a desire to, to know God more deeply and to enjoy the things of God? Is there a desire to join with the fellowship of believers in a church setting and partake in the ordinances of the church and to fellowship with others and be accountable to others and to confess our sins? If those desires are there, then that is a fairly good biblical indication that the Holy Spirit resides within us. For without the Holy Spirit residing within us, we do not naturally have any of those desires. Now, those desires fluctuate. Let, let's say that. They fluctuated in my life. They fluctuated in your life. It's not every day that I get up singing out of my bed saying, God, your mercies are new. Uh, oh, I just can't wait to get to your word, and I can't wait to pray, and I can't wait to fellowship with believers. Life is not like that. This, this is not a cruise ship. Um, this, this is an arduous journey of the Christian life. John Bunyan, in his allegorical portrayal of Pilgrim, uh, in Pilgrim's Progress of Christian going to the celestial city, um, he, he chronicles in that book the problems of the Christian life. So it's not a cruise ship here. Um, but but there is this underlining, deep-rooted desire to know God and to be made holy. 
And if that is the desire, then the Holy Spirit, I believe, is residing within you. And I, I think you're making some great points. This really ties a lot into our pneumatology, our understanding of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is also where the Old Testament becomes so important when we read about those promises about what God's going to do to our heart and how the Holy Spirit plays a role in that. Our hearts are going to be circumcised. The laws are going to be written upon our heart. Our heart of stone is going to be replaced with a heart of flesh. God's going to pour out his Holy Spirit. So to the person who's hearing you and, and thinking, well, all you're doing is just focusing on on law, 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 that you must be this and you must be that. You know, I think what that stems from is really an understanding of what God promises he'll do within our heart. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I would agree with that. Um, First and foremost, as I said uh, just a bit ago, our sanctification is in one sense a finished act as Christ is our sanctification. First Corinthians one thirty. Uh, that has nothing to do with the law. It has everything to do with grace. The only thing it has to do with the law is the fact that Christ was perfectly obedient, and therefore I am in Christ. So there is no part of the law that I could obey that would gain me merit or favor with God. I only have favor and merit with God because I'm in union with Christ. He is our sanctification. He is our substitute. He is our mediator. So, first and foremost, our sanctification is, in that sense, a finished act as Christ is our sanctification. Believers stand in a sanctified status because, not of my obedience, but because of Christ's perfect obedience. But, let me say this, our status before God and our union with Christ does not mean that we have fully arrived at a sanctified condition. It was was Martin Luther that really helps the believer understand here that the believer is both righteous in God's sight because of Christ, but yet remains a sinner as measured by his own merits. Mm. So, a, a way to explain this is, our soul is fully justified, sanctified, and is as good as glorified. That is, our soul is not going to be any more righteous, if you will, the moment we enter heaven than it is in this very moment. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, that soul, that spirit within us that is fully and completely justified, sanctified, and glorified, if you will, is still encased in flesh, which is fallen, which is sinful, which is necessary for us to cast off eventually and to receive a new body and new flesh. That's when our bodies will be glorified. Uh, Joel Beakey, who has written a lot on this subject, um, and I would encourage your listeners to look at a book called A Radical Comprehensive Call to Holiness. A Radical Comprehensive Call to to holiness. He said this, sanctification received is sanctification well and truly begun, though it is not yet sanctification perfected. Mm. Sanctification received is sanctification well and truly begun, though it is not yet sanctification perfected. That is, Eki, holiness must be cultivated. Holiness must be pursued. 
Growth in holiness must and will follow regeneration. Let's understand that. Let's get that straight. One of our deepest longings as believers should be to be made and perfected into the image of Christ. The New Testament stresses a vital and progressive sanctification in which the believer must strive for holiness. Hebrews 12, verse 14. So, we should be concerned with personal holiness because we desire to be like Christ. We desire to glorify God in this world. We desire to progress in putting off sin, daily walking in the Spirit, and not according to the flesh. We must pursue holiness in the strength of Christ. But we have to understand our status before God in standing and our current need to sanctify and cultivate holiness. I, I hope I hope some of that made sense. I, I think it does, and um, I'm thinking of First Peter chapter one, where Peter quotes Leviticus and saying, "You shall be holy, for I am holy." But when you yeah. look at how he applies that, the lead up to that is, "As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your mm. behavior, because it is written, "You shall be holy, for I am holy.'" And that mm. cannot be referring to positional sanctification, because that is a call. Yeah. Um, to conformity. And you mentioned our conformance to the image of uh, the Son of God. That comes from Romans 8, 28 to 30. Um, God has foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified us. But in verse 29, it says we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of God. And I think of Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day that he returns. So it is an ongoing work. And and then I guess what question I would have for you, for those that maybe take this uh, this antinomianism path, what, what do you think is their view of all the imperatives that we have in the New Testament? Because the New Testament is filled with imperatives. It's filled with commands. And if we take an antinomianism route, then we have to reinterpret that somehow. Just to be honest, it's so foreign to me, Eki, I don't even understand the argument. Yeah. I, I simply cannot understand how you th- can throw out 80% of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to have to throw out all of Paul's pastoral epistles. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to throw out so much content in Scripture that takes this view. And I, I just don't understand it. And, and to be honest, I've not given myself to a lot of time yeah. in understanding it because mm-hmm. it is so foreign to my reading of the New Testament, my reading of Scripture. The imperatives are on every single page. Right. And, I mean, we could fill 45 minutes just in reading verses of the imperatives. And so, I I don't understand the logic. I just know the logic does not help me in my growth in Christ. And if you are never considering this, if you never consider any of the imperatives, you are not growing in personal holiness. Let, let me give you something to uh, perhaps study or or to look in uh, from Jonathan Edwards. Edwards believed in progressive glorification as well. Hmm. And he said that progressive sanctification depended on what level of happiness and joy in which you will enter heaven. In other words... Our growth in holiness will depend upon, in other words, 
what we do here, what we are doing now, our growth in holiness does not mean that in heaven we're all going to enter in the same level of joy. Right. Because if somebody's done nothing, mm-hmm. right, then are they going to enter in the same level of happiness and joy and glory that someone who has pursued Christ all of their life? Mm-hmm. So, in other words, he he wanted to he wanted to recognize that progressive sanctification here and the pursuit of holiness here means something. In that the slate is not wiped clean once we enter glorification. Now, that doesn't mean that we all will not enter heaven in full glorification, in joy and happiness and all the rest of it. But he did believe that dependent on what happens here in your pursuit of holiness will be dependent on what level of happiness and knowledge and joy you enter glory. Now, that would be interesting to, to think through. That, that That's a very interesting subject to to explore further uh, in Edwards. And I'll leave that to you, uh, but I wanted to put that footnote there. Uh, you can deal with all the controversy surrounding that later. Uh, but but it's, it's, it's an interesting thought. Yeah. Um, it, it's an interesting doctrine, and uh, it's, it's a glorious doctrine if, if you look at it. We'll send all of that controversy to Eki's Twitter feed. Stay, stay off of my Twitter feed. Um, I, I've been doing yeah, just, good just, lately. Yeah, I'll just save you guys. I'll just save you guys. Don't post anything about it. Yeah. Um, that, that's just a footnote. You can yeah. go to Edwards and look at that. But, yeah. but what I do that's like good. about that mm-hmm. is simply saying is simply mm-hmm. saying this. This is not worth nothing here. Yeah. What, right, what yeah. we're doing has eternal consequences. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You can't just dismiss it and think, mm-hmm. well, I'm just going to let go and let God lead me because I'm going to heaven anyway. Who cares? Mm. That is such a passive understanding of what scripture teaches. Yeah. And Edwards is very careful to explain you cannot be passive in the Christian life and in your pursuit of holiness because your pursuit of holiness holiness now has eternal consequences. Yeah. Yeah. And so that elevates, doesn't it, guys? That elevates the importance of pursuing a life of holiness yeah. here and now. Well, we do well, see I language. Think- Go ahead, Eki. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just real quick. I, I think that's uh, very complimentary to Jesus telling us to um, build our treasures in heaven and not on earth. Yes, and yes. Peter opening up first Peter by saying, you've got a, you've got treasures awaiting for you that are, you know, are imperishable, undefiled. Um, and uh, so building up those treasures in heaven, I think, is very related to that. And it's not it's not that we all go in with the same reward. Pa- Paul talks about the fact that he preached the gospel uh, without uh, demanding any kind of payment because otherwise mm-hmm. he has worse his reward. Right. He, he has every right yeah. to ask for payment, but he wants an extra reward. So I think we see that very consistently, not just from Jesus, but in the words of his disciples as well. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. We see the language of reward in in Scripture when we get to heaven. So clearly, there's something that uh, affects that. I, I want to go back to and we talked about all the imperatives in Scripture, and it's very interesting because you're right. I, I think we could go as far as to say you'd really just have to eliminate pretty much half of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul wrote, I think, one book short of half, if I recall correctly. And there's imperatives everywhere. Um, and But he deals with both of those things, the reality of our positional sanctification and then progressive sanctification often. And I, I think of the book of Ephesians. I mean, he spends the, whole, the first three chapters 
giving us just such rich doctrine and theology of, you know, our sinfulness and the depravity of man and then um, what it means to be saved and how we're saved. And then you get to chapter four and the rest of the book, and he says things like, therefore, you know, so because you've been saved, now walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Yep. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and he spends the whole rest of the book kind of going through that sort of thing, talking about the using the language of putting off the old self, as you referred to earlier, putting on the new self. Uh, therefore, set aside falsehood, speaking truth one to another, et cetera, et cetera. So there really is no way if believers are in their Bible to get away from this language. And so sometimes I just have the question. Uh, from folks who have um, an, an, an opposing kind of spirit to uh, obedience, are are you even reading the the word? Are you even in the Bible? Because it's kind of all over the place. Mm. Um, a, a pointed question. Uh, it, it, I'm I'm prone to believe. I and well, and, I, and we're going to kind of go into the Holy Spirit's role in all of this because I think that's important. Uh, oftentimes, I think guys in kind of the Reformed ish camps are afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit because of some of the charismatic stuff, but I'm not content to, to let bad doctrine steal the richness of what the Holy Spirit does in us. Um, but the, I, I'm tempted to, to, to say that um, it, there's no way I can see from Scripture, rather, we'll say it this way, someone who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit, who's uh, been saved by Christ, um, I, I don't know how that can be true of someone and there not be any desire um, to mm. be more conformed into the image of Christ. I don't know that that's possible. In fact, I don't believe it is. Um, and so for the person who would say, I just don't have any of this desire, I, I don't I don't want to pursue obedience. I don't really care about that. I can check that I'm saved box off. Um, now, I think there are other things we often see with that kind of mentality. Normally, they're not plugged into a local church. They're not committed in other ways. I, I, I would just say those types of people I don't think are saved. I don't think they have genuinely come into uh, a meaningful relationship with Christ. But for, but for the guys who are listening, and maybe they feel a bit of conviction, and, and they're thinking, well, you know, I, I, I do love Christ, and I do love His church, um, but I've not really considered my the things that I need to do in obedience. Um, so where do you help that person start? Maybe they're young in the faith or they've been in the faith for a while, but they've just never really thought of this. Where, where, where would you uh, tell them to start? What advice would you give to those folks? Um, I would probably begin by pointing to uh, a passage like First John two six, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner in which he walked. That is, Jesus is the standard here. Uh, Jesus Christ is the standard and example that we are to emulate in our Christian walk. First Peter two twenty one, um, and. It is Jesus who said, I will send you a helper. 
Um, in John 16, 14, Jesus emphasizes the ministry of the Spirit. You mentioned the Spirit there, um, that the ministry of the Spirit is not to draw attention to himself, but to glorify Christ, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you, Jesus said. And so, in all of his conforming and transforming work in the life of the individual believers and in the life of the church, the Holy Spirit perpetually points us to Jesus. And so, if the third person of the Trinity is constantly pointing us to Jesus, then it's pretty safe to say that Jesus is our standard to emulate. So, it's not like we don't have an example here in which to follow. It's not like we're just given a book and or given nothing for that matter and saying, good luck. I, I hope you learn how to live the Christian life. In, in fact, no, that, that's not the case at all. Not only do we have the external word of God, which is God's revelation to us, the very mind of God, um, but we also have the inward witness or the inward testimony which is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, glancing at Jesus doesn't make sinners beautiful. Just a, a glance, being a mere spectator doesn't make sinners beautiful. The beauty for which we are saved is accomplished, or should I say the holiness for which we are saved, is accomplished only through an intense heartfelt stare at Jesus. Uh, we all know what it's like to receive a, a glaring stare from a parent uh, when we've disobeyed. We remember that, don't we? W words aren't necessary. Uh, when my mother would look at me when I would misbehave in a church service, words were not necessary as she was sitting at the piano and I was misbehaving at the pew and all she had to do was look at me. The stare alone communicated the required level of conformity. <laughs> Jonathan Edwards says, we need such a sight of the divine beauty of Christ that our hearts and wills bow before his loveliness. Mm. And I, I love that language because that is the essence, Nathaniel, of holiness. That's where to start. You have to start with Jesus. And Jesus is revealed to us in a book that is the scriptures, the Bible. And so, now, naturally, as long as our redeemed souls are encased in sinful flesh, we oppose the Spirit's work of beautifying. Uh, Edward said again, one glimpse of the moral and spiritual glory of God and the supreme amiableness of Jesus Christ shining into the heart overcomes and abolishes this opposition, and he says, inclines the soul to Christ. Mm. We need our souls inclined to Christ. And so, when the Spirit causes, at the moment of regeneration, the beauty of Christ to dawn in our hearts, all opposition to holiness flees, and our eyes are firmly riveted to his flawless loveliness, and we are made beautiful. That's where to start. That, that was a big, long that's, explanation that's of awesome. where to start. Look at Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2.
Amen. Yes. Yes. That remarkably sounds work, like Spurgeon in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the chief work of the Spirit is to bring beauty out of chaos, right? I mean, we see this in Genesis 1. In redemption, the Spirit brings life out of death and sin, John 3, 5 to 6, verse 8. In sanctification, the Spirit brings beauty out of fallen flesh and wayward hearts. And so, this is the Spirit's work, and He delights in achieving and doing this work. And so, to, to put it simply, and, and then I'll stop, justification renders us dead to sin, while sanctification demands that we put sin to death. Mm. That's Romans 6, verses 1 to 23, Romans 8, verses 1 through 11. Justification renders us dead to sin, while sanctification demands, requires, rivets our hearts so on Jesus and his loveliness Mm. and the desire for holiness that we put sin to death the rest of our lives. Now, I want to ask a question I think that kind of leads up to, and then we'll sort of wrap up here. But for for the first for the person listening, and um, I alluded to Spurgeon because often he called people to look upon the loveliness of Christ uh, in in sermons and and in his works. Um, if someone's listening and they're thinking, "Well, I I want that, but I don't really know exactly how to how, how to develop that." And, and I do think that there is there are disciplines, and as we engage in those disciplines, we actually do find the Holy Spirit working in us. Um, uh, I, I don't know how you would phrase that, but just a deeper love and affection for Christ. Our affections are raised as we engage in in these disciplines out of out of a right heart, rather than out of you know a legalistic earning kind of way. What what are some of those things that you would encourage people, just very practically, um, to to begin engaging in if they're sitting there thinking? Wow, that the Christ you just uh, you just described. I want to see Christ that way. I I want to look upon the beauty of Christ. Um, I, I want that in a deeper way. Where can I begin to help developing that? Trusting that it's ultimately the Holy Spirit working in us as we engage uh, in works. But where where would you point people to in terms of disciplines to to develop well, a the, deeper life with Christ there like that? The only place to go, the only place to go, is where Jesus is revealed to us, which is the Word of God. Spurgeon also said, there's enough dust on many of your Bibles that you could write damnation with your finger. Hmm. And so, we we sit here and we wonder, oh, I don't know Jesus, and how do I get to know Jesus? And I'm looking for some burning bush, and I'm looking for some experience, or I'm looking for some being caught up in some higher third heaven, or I'm looking for some feel-good moment, or I'm looking for a burning sensation, or I could go on and on and on. Open the book. Open the scriptures, for in them is life. Go to where Jesus is revealed. You're you're not going to find Jesus in a movie. You're not going to find Jesus in a novel. You're not going to find Jesus at the grocery store. You're not going to find Jesus in your family moments, etc., etc. You have to go to the source, and that is where God has revealed him, which is the scriptures. 
We need to read the scripture. We need to memorize the scripture. We need to inwardly digest the scripture. We need to meditate upon the scripture. We need to pray the scripture. We need to write the scripture. We need to recite the scripture. And I could just go right on down the list. Mm. We want this great spiritual life without the means through which God has provided it. And that's the Bible. And Amen. we cannot so, we we cannot separate the Holy Spirit from the Bible. The Bible no, is actually provided no. to us by the Holy Spirit. He helps illuminates our Absolutely. hearts to the Spirit. And in uh, fact, he, it's the yeah. only thing he said he would bless. Yeah. It's the only thing he said he would bless. When heaven and earth shall pass away, my words shall not pass away. Mm. And so it it signifies a lack of theological understanding mm. in our doctrine of Scripture when we want holiness, when we want an ecstatic Christian experience in life, when we neglect the Word of God. Yeah. Don't come to me talking about you want a life of holiness, and my first question is, when was the last time you read your Bible? Mm. Yeah. Mm. When was the last time you were in the scriptures? And so some practical things I would say, learn to meditate on the scriptures, take a scripture verse with you, get on a good daily Bible reading plan. You need Mm -hmm. regular daily Bible intake, which is a reading plan. Go slow, pick a book. There's so many Bible reading plans, it's unbelievable. I use the Robert Murray McShane Bible reading plan. Mm -hmm. You can Google it. It's all over the internet. You can download a PDF copy of it. You follow it four chapters a day. It puts you in all these various locations of Scripture. You write some verses down that you're going to meditate on. You stick that on your phone. You write that on your phone. You make a reminder for yourself. You post that up in your bathroom mirror where you're going to see it, you're meditating on scripture all day, write the Bible, pick a book, pick a small book, First John. You talk about slowing yourself down, that's going to slow you down. Learn to read through the Psalms. You will be amazed at how your life is transformed hmm. when you dive into the bottomless depths of God's mind and heart as revealed in scripture. Don't expect holiness where you're not in the scripture. Hmm. Amen. I knew you were going to go there, which is why I asked that question. <laughs> you, you know, what you've just described, and I think uh, we've just lost this in Western, a lot of so-called Western Christianity. That's just being a disciple of Christ, right? When yes. Christ walked to earth and his disciples did what? They walked with him. They, they, they didn't go, you know, months without interaction, without his word without um and but we we have the tendency to do that right um so nathaniel let, let me just put this in as as a footnote i'm not explaining some extraordinary hyper christian i'm not explaining some moses type elijah type you're going to get caught up to heaven in a chariot of fire i'm not talking about some elite echelon of christianity that is unattainable all i'm talking about is the ordinary christian life yeah that's what i'm talking about the ordinary mundane everyday hammering it out disciplined structured Holy Spirit-driven, Holy Spirit-empowered, ordinary Christian life. I'm writing a book right now, uh, due next year, Moody Press is publishing it, on the Beatitudes. And the title of that book is going to be, Be What You Are. 
In other words, the Beatitudes are not some higher, elite, unattainable Christianity. The Beatitudes, and every single one of the Beatitudes, they're they're not fruits of the Spirit here. Somebody's not mourning over sin while somebody else is hungry for righteousness. No, every single Beatitude should be characteristic of every single Mm. believer. Be what you are, an ordinary believer. Amen. Any last thoughts from you, Eki? Um, no, I need to go read my Bible. <laughs> there you go. Well, uh, Dustin, uh, every week, because we're going through the Ten Commandments and we're talking about the law and and bringing that to bear on people and really just showing the beauty of that um, and that it is still for us today, we've been at the end of every episode uh, uh, giving people the gospel. Um, and so I, I'd like to just continue that. So why don't you tell us um, as we end up here the answer to the question, what what is the gospel? Because there may be people who have listened to us and they've discovered that they really just aren't in that relationship with Christ, which is why this is so foreign to them. What's the gospel? Well, that's a great question. Uh, the gospel needs to be desperately defined um, at the moment, doesn't it? And I, I would just say that the gospel is, or precisely the good news, is that God sent his son Uh, the second person of the Holy Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ, to rescue sinners. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless, perfect, obedient life under the law. He was crucified on a cross as a substitute to pay the penalty of God's wrath against the sins of all those who would ever believe. In his body, he bore the punishment due to sinners on that cross, and his perfect righteousness was imputed to them, making them acceptable in the sight of God. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended back to the authority and power of his Father's right hand to intercede for all believers. And now everyone who by faith, according to Romans 10, 13, everyone who by faith calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the gospel is a historic message because it happened in history. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ, that we've rejected God in sin. God has made provision through Christ. We must receive Christ by faith, and God has promised to save and accept all of those who come to him by faith, and then we must live for Christ, pursuing holiness. Amen. Well, I hope that we'll end on that. I hope that this has been helpful for you guys listening. Go read your Bibles. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.